When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome in to Purple Daily. Another beautiful day here in the Twin Cities as we march closer to the start of the regular season. Matthew Collar with you and joining me via Skype, Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman correspondent. And uh, Sage, an exciting time in your life as you spent your day yesterday taking pictures of your old football helmet to see if you could help Antonio Brown. That's a real thing that happened. Well, you know, sometimes NFL stories get into, like, national uh, headlines, you know, the sort of, I guess, the national more news networks. And on one of those uh, uh, networks yesterday on Twitter, it, there was a story about Antonio Brown's helmet. And I'm like, man, this thing is out of control. <laughs> uh, so I was like, you know, I have some old helmets to my – you know, the, the, the rule, the, the helmet had to be less than 10 years old. So I was like, well, you know, I played the last couple of years, though. I feel like one of those years I wore uh, one of those shut helmets. And uh, so I went downstairs and sure enough, my Giants helmet from 2010 uh, was a, I thought, that type of helmet. So I took a little video of it and and uh, uh, added uh, AB there on Twitter. And uh, a lot of people obviously you know, sort of saw that. They're looking for the mysterious helmet. I'm just offering up if I can help him out or whatever. And and sure enough, I get a message from uh, somebody who works for Drew Rosenhaus uh, over there. <laughs> Antonio and Brown's asking agent. me for more. Yeah, I'm like out to lunch yesterday. And they're like, hey, can we get more, spe- you know, more specs on the helmet? Can you find the stickers on the inside? And, you know, what year? Every helmet, I guess, has like a year a sticker on it as to what year it was made and sold and blah, blah, blah. So I go in there, take some pictures, and got a message back that uh, it didn't exactly meet the specifications because oh. it was, I think, 10. It, it was made in 2009, so it puts it at 10 years old. Uh, so that's not going to happen. You know, I, there are some good tweets about it, though. Somebody said, I said, there's I have a used you know, New York Giants helmet, and somebody goes, U, like, used as in a, uh, like, are you sure it was actually used or just sort of barely worn oh, and boom uh, roasted yeah boom roasted <laughs> it was used actually i was i was the holder you were the holder the giants so you we know, went over this they got some real uh real play time there uh <laughs> whatever so um yeah it didn't work out but you know I, it sounds like he found a helmet and uh it sounds like the oakland raiders are still going to play 16 games this year we'll see how many they win in that uh 
in that AFC West division. Okay, I need you to start some sort of like blog or WordPress or something of journeyman stories of the strange things you come across because you almost helping Antonio Brown, I think you would have ended up on hard knocks if you were the one that got Antonio Brown the helmet he was looking for. And I mean, you would have been the, you would have been the national sensation. I'd like to do some sort of uh, article sometime on the magic of Twitter, just the weird things that occur uh, because of Twitter. And this is like, this could have been one of them. It could have been <laughs> very strange. It's a weird way to connect people from all over the globe uh, in one small space. Okay, I have a very important question for you stemming off of this, which is, if it had been the helmet, what would you ask for from Antonio Brown? Because players will often give up their jersey numbers at a specific price, right? If somebody signs an expensive free agent, well, you've got the money, so why don't you give me X number of dollars? What would you have asked Antonio Brown for in exchange? Because he was offering a signed helmet, but you don't need that. Uh, either nothing or maybe like a donation to a charity oh, that come I on. believe in. Come uh, on. Or... or uh, you know, I live in Omaha here, so it's three hours to Kansas City, and they play in Kansas City this year, being the same division. So, you know, maybe that weekend the kids and I would go down to the game and have a chance to meet them afterwards and take a few pictures, and that to me would be all I really need. No, I, I don't think I would try to get get money out of it. It would be nice if he could talk to the Giants to get me another helmet. You know, that would be <laughs> nice uh, uh, to do that. So. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't ask for much. That's for sure. Oh well, that is about the lamest answer you could possibly give. I, oh, I, I, I think, would ask for a donation to my favorite charity. Come on, I Sage. think most people just want this type of story to go away because it's you know it's sort of funny, I guess, or just sort of you know peculiar or odd. I I actually legitimately have some concerns about his mental health, Antonio Brown. Yeah, uh, because some of the interviews he's done, he did an interesting one, Jeff Darlington. Uh, you know, he's obviously been through a lot in his life and, you know, he, he's ex- an extremely famous, extremely well-paid athlete. And sometimes people sort of go off the cliff a little bit uh, when, when that occurs to them. And, and uh, I hope that that has not happened to Antonio Brown because there's some odd things going on. So I went on a, a rant the other day about this sage a little bit is sometimes when we as society decide that somebody is sort of a, I don't know if it's whipping boy is the right thing, but um, they they become the center of everyone's mockery for some event or whatever else it is. And then it just gets ramped up to a level that is just beyond absurd. So someone in the Oakland Raiders organization or whoever leaks this thing about the helmet about Antonio Brown. And then it's just a free for all of people making fun of him and, and, and taking it completely to be fact when we don't even know who it was that was putting it out in, in the media. And I'm not questioning Mike Silver having a source. I'm just saying that there are lots of sources who have reasons to put things out there. And then everyone's making fun of the guy. And and basically, he just shows up at camp and he gets his helmet. And the foot issue is kind of weird, uh, but I guess it's not a thing that is the first time it's ever happened. To And, and it just seems like we like to 
take something like this without any sort of context and ramp it up to 11 and make fun of somebody all the time. And then if the person says anything weird or gets defensive or upset, then they're crazy and they're a diva and everything else. I mean, even Antonio Brown leaving Pittsburgh, I wouldn't want to play with Ben Roethlisberger either. And I would also like more money. Those are the two things. I mean, he did some weird stuff on social media, but those are the, those are like the two basic things. Don't want to play with Rossberger. Want more money. I, I, I disagree. I disagree. I think there's more than that. And I'm guessing there's all kinds of things that happened for years in Pittsburgh that sounds like they let him get away with because he was so talented. But, you know, he he did give up on his team last year in a must win week 17 game. Uh, he, he said in the opposite, he wanted everyone to call him Mr. Big Chest. OK, <laughs> um, you know, he works his way out of Pittsburgh over to Oakland. Uh, and, uh, you know, John Gruden's there. So that's a, a sort of a, a hot topic issue and, and a name that people love to talk about. He signs a 10 year, $100 million contract with the Raiders, who have been really one of the worst organizations over the course of the last 15 years. And, uh, you know, gets there. Cryotherapy doesn't put on his socks or whatever. And I was feeder, doesn't practice for the first 10 days. Uh, you know, th- these are things that make head coaches and GMs and ownership go crazy because, you know, coaches don't like distractions. You know, they don't like the fact that they traded, uh, for, you know, for this guy and paid him 20 plus million dollars a year. And he did practice for the first 10 days. And it's got nothing to do with some sort of injury that he occurred like during OTAs or the off season. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Then throwing this weird helmet deal. Uh, I think they would just rather be talking about, you know, how are we going to beat Pat Mahomes and, and, uh, you know, how are we going to, uh, you know, get back in the playoffs. Uh, you know, they got their work cut out for them and they got some young guys with those draft picks they got for Khalil Mack. So I think they'd much rather be talking about something else. These are the types of distractions coaches hate. These things that add like no value to the team. So I think there's more than just smoke in this situation. It's been more than two or three things. Well, I understand that, but I, I think that we blow up all these things to be much bigger than they actually are. The Antonio Brown issue with the helmet is not super uncommon among the older NFL players, none of whom have seemed to like the fact that they've had to give up their old helmets. Nobody, was... nobody has said, I'm not going to play. But he didn't, though. A, a, a leak from somebody else through a reporter said that. He never said that. He didn't come out in the media or come out on hard knocks or come out on his social media and said, I'm not playing. That that was through somebody else. That's that's what I'm saying is that we take all these things as fact, but sometimes you need to go, okay, well, well, who's putting this out there, right? Well, I don't know. I saw those interviews earlier this year when he was trying to work his way out of Pittsburgh and, and all those things, and uh, he doesn't seem to be a person of stability, which is what NFL franchises look for, consistent and stable people, uh, and not people that uh, have a whole bunch of things seem to happen to them just randomly happen to them uh, i mean that might be true but i think every single one of these we blow up way more than they need to be i mean my comment after the helmet thing was okay find him a helmet well they were even reaching out to you to try and find him a helmet they're they're gonna find him a helmet and he wasn't gonna practice anyway because he's got the foot issue and with the other stuff i mean it's it's sort of like to doing the push-ups i understand that it's sort of funny or weird that he called himself mr big chest and he put some stuff on social media but doesn't that all sort of sort of scream like that his agent drew rosenhaus was trying to push this 
to to make a big stink about it to get him out of Pittsburgh, right? I mean, it's the same thing with Terrell Owens, and and everybody shredded him for it, and he didn't get in the Hall of Fame first for it. But what did he do through his career? He was a great, super valuable receiver who was incredible in the Super Bowl, playing on a broken ankle. And the same goes for Antonio Brown, a guy who has just consistently been a top three NFL wide receiver. I'm not I'm not saying that Antonio Brown isn't wrong. I'm just saying we love to do this, especially it's seems to wide receivers where we just explode everything around them and then we blame them for it i think antonio brown has had enough control of the random odd things that have occurred around him that he has to own some of that right so i just you know listen pittsburgh they are the best wide receiver drafting team in the nfl it seems like every single year they find somebody lower in the draft or whatever and and you know, being a really good player, and I think they'll replace him very easily. You know, Roethlisberger, love him or hate him, like he seems to have good wide receivers. Well, he seems to make wide receivers pretty good too. All right, so um, I just think there's a lot there, and there's a reason Pittsburgh, who has way more knowledge about him and his actions than you and I do, or anybody listening to this show, uh, the people in that organization were happy to let him go for not a big haul of draft picks. But they didn't really have a choice. I mean, he was forcing his way out the same way Le'Veon Bell did, right? I mean, he was asking them for... Le'Veon Bell sat out the last year, I mean, sat out for an entire year. I mean, they were happily to let him go to get some compensation. Let somebody else pay this person, who's 30 years old, by the way. And over 30 is not a great place to be as a wide receiver. I know he keeps himself in great shape. I know T.O. kept himself in great shape. All right, but yeah, that's when you start to just lose a little bit of that youth uh, and that speed and that explosion as you get into your 30s. And so they didn't want to give him $22 million a year, uh, and they didn't want to deal with this headache that they probably dealt with every single day, and they just uh, you know sort of let it go and said, you know what, though, on game day, he's incredible. And so, you know, will the Steelers be that? That type of organization will John Gruden be into that, you know, early on his long tenure here to have this wild card that, you know, maybe doesn't show up for meetings or practice or who knows what, but like, what are you going to do? He's a gamer. So then that teaches the young guys. That's what you do when you're a superstar. I think there's a reason Pittsburgh let him go. Yeah. And, um, and I think they did have a choice and they could have just said no. Which is what a lot of teams do. I I think what I'm getting at is not necessarily super specific to Antonio Brown, but more to what happens to people who end up being controversial figures in any way, shape, or form in the NFL is that everyone has their own spin on things and puts everything out in the media and then we accept it as fact. So just any, any of these stories. I mean, like the thing with Antonio Brown, um, there was something about him having an Airbnb last year. You're like, okay, I mean, maybe you, you, someone might think that that was a big deal, but is that something that really needs to be out there? That has to be put out there. Like he didn't come out and say, I'm living in an Airbnb. It's, it's people around Antonio Brown trying to get it out in the media that he was a problem. So when they got rid of him ultimately, because he wanted more money and they couldn't afford it. So when they had to move him, ultimately it looked like he was the worst guy. And, and again, I'm sure he's a pain in the ass. Like I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I also, also would love to find another uh, wide receiver who over his career I've got this up right here Roethlisberger's career quarterback ratings 102.7 when throwing to Antonio Brown 
there's not too many wide receivers who can do that consistently for a quarterback over a long period of time. So I, I just I think that it was that there's like truth to the fact that he is a giant pain and that he is a diva and acts like a superstar and all this sort of stuff and has these sort of weird things that he likes and wants. I I, I think that's all true, but I also think. Um, that the narrative has been shaped a lot by things that are just put out there by we don't even know who, and there's a lot of NFL reporters who are happy to take anybody's word and throw it out there on Twitter, and then it becomes fact. I do think there is a sort of T.O. type of correlation here, uh, Terrell Owens. I think there's something similar that they have. They're not easy to be around. You know, I got to play with Andre Johnson. All right, so the, they will both probably put up similar numbers over the course of their career. Maybe Antonio's will be better by the end of it, but you know, Andre didn't say all that much. Uh, he made none of these types of ways waves in the off season. It, it was not like this. It, it wasn't you know you wouldn't hear him after games complaining that he didn't get enough throws his way. He just worked, and that's why like everybody loved him uh, in that Houston Texans organization, and then that fan base on that team is. He was a professional at all times and many times was underpaid, uh, you know, as one of the best wide receivers in the league for, for a number of years. And that, you know, he didn't uh, have all those issues and, uh, you know, teams wanting to get rid of him. So I just think for the team, there's a better way to do it. And, uh, as, a, as quarterbacks, uh, those guys, they, they're, they're annoying. They're annoying. It's a lot of work. It's a hard work. Everyone's trying to make the team. Yeah, probably half that half the people on that roster, of ninety players in Oakland, just trying to make a football team. You know, whether it's for their rookie season or for their third season, or they're an old vet trying to hang on for one more year. And then you got this guy who's the second highest paid on the team, having all this drama around. And I, I really do think, uh, you know, if you want to be a great pro, you can, you can you can control that drama. And he doesn't seem to want to do that. So let me ask you uh, this. Because Andre Johnson, of course, is the quiet guy. But he also was not necessarily like the, the same level of superstar as Antonio Brown. And I'm not saying he wasn't great because he was probably the most underrated wide receiver of that entire era. I mean, he's an amazing player. Kind of reminds me of like someone like Jimmy Smith that probably belongs in the Hall of Fame but won't get there. Um, just because they didn't play in a big market or on a super, super successful team or anything like that that won a Super Bowl. So, so I, I get what you're saying. But did you ever play with somebody, Sage, who was a pain in the ass and they were weird and they did things that were annoying, but you generally thought that they were a really good player and you would want to keep them around. Now think of it this way, because you played in the era before Twitter, before everybody knew everything all the time. So if you think of one of those types of players that you definitely wouldn't trade because they were too good and helped your team, and then take every bit of information that you had behind the scenes in the locker room and everything else and just throw it out in public, it, I mean, it just changes the entire landscape, right? I mean, the, the entire way that we view this player and the, the situation. I, I think that, um, you know, I guess that just the massive attention all the time on the NFL makes every smaller thing become a huge thing, and it changes the way we look at guys like Antonio Brown. So can I show you something really quick? Can I say something? Okay, the last six years, Antonio Brown, 104, 101, 106, 136, 129, 110. Uh, that's the catches he had in the last so many years. Andre Johnson, okay, he had a stretch in his career where he had 
All right, 103, 60, 115, 101, 86, 33, 112, 109, 85. All right, so pretty similar, superstar receiver, uh, you know, type type situation. And I just think they went about, they have gone about their business in very different ways. And maybe Andre wasn't that, you know, celebrity superstar player. One, because the Texans were never a great team, never had a, a you know, superstar Brett Favre thrown to him or something like that. Uh, ben Roethlisberger or whatever never was deep in the playoffs. Uh, but maybe it's because he wasn't looking for that. He wasn't needing that attention. You know, I think that's that's a T.O. needs that attention. There needs to be things that somehow the attention comes his way. There's a call that T.O. might kill himself. You know, all these things that happen at the end of his career. There's, I, I think some players just need that attention all the time. Uh, an adoration probably of everyone telling how great Andre did not need that. He was just like, I'm just trying to get this team better. I've seen trying to win as many football games as we can, hopefully win a Super Bowl. He came from that old school mentality. He was not the attention seeking Michael Irvin, Deion Sanders, T.O. type mentality. And I think Antonio Brown might be in that boat. And I just, as a quarterback, I would prefer not to have that on my team if possible. It never turned out well. And the teams I was on, if somebody was that way. And luckily, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of guys I played with who were, uh, who were paying like that. I mean, Ricky Williams, for all the things that he was, it wasn't, you know, this type of stuff. Uh, it didn't, it didn't seem like it wasn't, uh, this, it was just like he quit and fell off the map and decided to come back. And other than that, when he was there, he was like the most team player you could ever imagine, right? So I don't know, who knows? We'll see. People like to talk about this Antonio Brown thing, and and I think people are just sort of waiting for the regular season to get here. Preseason games aren't all that exciting. Obviously, the starters like don't even play anymore, basically, at all in these preseason games. And so I think it's just sort of that time of year where NFL is looking for something to talk mm-hmm. about, and, and this happens to be that thing. Yeah, I, I guess I would also tack on that, I mean, just not everyone's going to be Andre Johnson, right? And it's usually in the NFL, even if it's such a big pain behind the scenes, it's talent that ends up winning, right? I mean, the the Golden State Warriors, how big of a pain was Kevin Durant? I'm sure it was just a nightmare at times, and all they did was win a couple championships. And all these receivers, the Michael Irvins, Antonio Brown, they've done a ton of winning. Doesn't necessarily mean lots of Super Bowls because Tom Brady is still around. But, I mean, Terrell Owens made himself uh, into a Hall of Fame wide receiver for a long time. Chad Ochocinco was the number one wide receiver on really successful competitive teams that didn't always have the best quarterbacks. So, you know, um, I, I guess I always look at it as the, the talent outweighs this, but it's a different landscape now than it used to be when it comes to a story like this. So um, anyway, uh, I, I, I'm um, a little disappointed that you couldn't give Antonio your helmet. That's a little bit too bad. That could have put us uh, in the spotlight here with Purple Daily, but... You missed your opportunity. Um, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, Kirk Cousins' accuracy. I wrote a big article about it, Sage. I talked to a bunch of people, and I want to get your perspective on how to take Kirk Cousins' accuracy and make it a, into a successful offense around him. That's what the Vikings are trying to do this year. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. 
Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, Sage Rosenfels via Skype, our journeyman quarterback correspondent. And uh, I have a very quarterbacky um, article for you, Sage, on scorenorth.com. I talked to Mike Zimmer, Kevin Stefanski, Eric Kendrick, Sean Mannion, had some good conversations about Kirk Cousins and his accuracy. And one thing that I kept coming back to, Sage, is that this offense. I think is a better use of his accuracy specifically to him. And I'll give you a fun stat. So uh, these play actions and these bootlegs and rollouts, they often include somebody coming across the field and you have to throw in stride, right? Last year, only 0.9 of Kirk Cousins throws were behind his wide receivers, which is a, which is elite. Uh, That's pro football focused stat. so tell me Sage, how can the Vikings offense and Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski use the fact that they have one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the NFL to their advantage with their scheme? Give me, give me some throws that he can make, some plays that they'll have. How can they do this? Well, I, I think it's about rhythm for him. You know, all quarterbacks are a little bit different in the way they, they throw the football, the way they stand in the pocket, the way they move around, you know, what, what they're great at and what you know, just, just the skills that they have, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson's skill set is different than Matt Ryan's and Kirk Cousins. And, uh, but what I will say about Kirk is to me is that he is a rhythm passer. You know, Chad Pennington back in the day was the all time rhythm passer. I mean, when he was coached, uh, in particular with the New York Jets when he first came in the league, it was, you know, seven step drop with one hitch to number one, second hitch to number two third hitch to the check down. It was sort of very methodical. And, and Kirk is not like that, uh, you know, per se, but an offense that allows that sort of one to two to three where he can stay in rhythm. Now, that's the thing is you have to have an offensive line uh, that allows that rhythm, but the, the, he's an accurate thrower when he's in rhythm uh, and he's going through his reads. I, I think what he needs to do is try to get the ball out, you know, uh, you know, to his guys quicker. He did a great job. I, I believe it was the second play of the game, uh, the other day. He looked to his right to a, to a, what they call a stick combination. It was a flat, uh, and a quick out. And then that wasn't there and quickly reset right over the ball to Kyle Rudolph, who caught it and scored ahead for a, a nice gain. And so, you know, that to me was boom, moving through his progressions. And, uh, when you can uh, create sort of these progression reads for him, when his feet uh, and the timing of the routes, when they're in sync, uh, that that's when he's a, a very, very accurate passer. So Kevin Stefanski said that he thinks the reason Kirk is so accurate is basically he's just honed a skill that he has from God, basically, right? Like just from the DNA, from birth, some guys can just throw a football more accurately than others, and then you have to put the work in, which we know that Kirk Cousins is going to do. Um, do you, did you, do you agree with that? I mean, can, can guys get better at it? I tend to think that they can't. I tend to think that by the time you get to the NFL, you're going to be an accurate passer or you're not going to be an accurate passer. And somebody like 
Josh Allen, for example, or even Cam Newton is not the most accurate passer. He's got a lot of other great assets to his game, but it's not like uh, he's consistently pinpoint with throwing the football. And I, I, I tend to agree with it. I, I think it's something that just doesn't really change. I will say this. I, I think for myself personally is that I became more accurate in my NFL, in my NFL career because I started understanding offense and defense better. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think Kirk Cousins is in a different spot. I think he was, you know, taught very well really in his career in that Shanahan offense, uh, you know, uh, about how defenses work and how to, uh, stretch defenses and where the weaknesses are and, and, and all those types of things. Kirk has always been an accurate quarterback. He was pretty dang accurate, uh, at Michigan State. Uh, and so I, yeah, there is a thing there. I, I talk about it with like, uh, you know, throwing is very much that way. It's similar to like shooting a basketball. You know, some people just can shoot and some people just can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't really matter where you're from or how, uh, tall you are or whatever. Some people just simply can't shoot. And then there's like seven foot guys. Uh, you know, back in the day who, you know, Bill Wennington, man, he knocked down every 18 footer when Jordan would drive and kick to him, right? Bill and the seven foot four. Yeah. Bill Wennington, Luke Longley, right? Those guys were accurate shooters. You know, Steve Kerr is an accurate shooter. You know, Steph Curry, you know, those types of things. And so uh, I've always thought shooting a basketball is very similar to sort of throwing a baseball or throwing a football. Some people don't have accuracy. I think you can improve on it. And some of that is knowledge, which means anticipation which means you, know, you can fit uh, balls into smaller windows and those types of things. But uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, you know, Kirk's an accurate passer, and, and uh, uh, obviously that, that's going to be huge for the Vikings' uh, offense this year. So you mentioned the offensive line. I want to run something by you. Um, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus did a huge study, and he's a math Ph.D. guy, so he can do this, about uh, quarterbacks and pressure rates and whether – it's all on the offensive line or it's a lot on the quarterback. And he found that it's it's a mix, that a lot of quarterbacks control their own pressure rates. And Kirk Cousins is a guy who is consistently, even when he's had good offensive lines in Washington with Trent Williams at left tackle and Brandon Schreff was a top draft pick, even when he had good offensive lines, that he still got pressured a lot more than a lot of other quarterbacks. And I think that that would resonate from anyone who's watched him play, where he kind of gets stuck in one spot. Um, and and isn't really a guy who can slide up into space like Tom Brady or something like that, and he's not going to uh, use uh, like extreme athleticism to run around. I guess I'm curious what you think of that study, that it, that it found that quarterbacks control a lot of the pressure that comes their way. So I actually think that this stat, or, or, or this study, I should say, I mean, the, the aspect of a quarterback getting hit uh, and those types of things, uh, is sort of the, um, what's the word, sort of almost intang- or almost like an intangible mm-hmm. uh, that you can't, you know, this is what people don't see at the combine. This is what people don't see uh, when they're trying to, you know, draft a kid in the first round. You know, sometimes some quarterbacks just know how to get the ball out quicker, whether it's a flicker of the wrist or they read defenses a little bit faster and they can get the ball out to the quickest guy possible. And some do not. And, and I'll give you a couple examples. I was watching something on the NFL Network the other day. Uh, they're doing Joey Mosa or Joey Bosa was, uh, uh, was mic'd up for the San Diego Chargers defensive end and they're playing the Patriots and he comes off the sidelines, you know, the, I don't know if it's in the second or third quarter and he's like, man, Tom gets, gets rid of the ball so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that ball is in his hands. He's made a decision. Boom. It's out. You know, there, there's no uh, waiting around that he doesn't hold on the ball. And when he does hold on the ball, he can move around the pocket 
uh, and, and create more time, but he gets the ball out fast, doesn't get sacked a ton, despite the fact that it seems like the Patriots never have, you know, first round draft pick, Pro Bowl. Yep. Lime a lot of times. It seems like every year they're starting like an undrafted free agent center. It seems like that happens like every single year for the Patriots, right? So he has like a natural gift there, right? Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, I played with David Carr. Mm-hmm. David Carr, 10 times the athlete is, uh, is Tom Brady, right? You know, but, but David Carr got hit a lot, got sacked a lot, right? Was the offensive line bad? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good, but he made them worse, right? So, that to me is a, is a very, very important stat and something that doesn't really show up, you know, in quarterback rating or, or these types of things is, you know, certain quarterbacks just seem to get hit more than others. Uh, and that's something that we should definitely keep an eye on this year with Kirk Cousins because he is one of those quarterbacks that does takes a lot, take a lot of hits and doesn't know we can't really, uh, you know, just sort of flick the ball. Uh, he, as I was talking about earlier, the rhythm passing, right. you know, he's, he's really accurate with that rhythm, but he gets out of the rhythm and he has to, Sort of, sort of short step something or, you know, sort of throw a ball like a second baseman sidearm real quick or something. Uh, he doesn't sort of play that way. You know, he's, he's a little more mechanical. He's very mechanical, which is probably one of the reasons he's extremely accurate. So, um, cousins last year, this is our great world of statistics in football now. This is pro football focused time to taking the snap to letting it go was 17th in the NFL last year, despite having an offensive line that was fourth worst in pass blocking. And and that kind of tells you that he was holding on to the ball probably too long and how much a quarterback can make their offensive line better. Ben Roethlisberger was the fastest in the NFL getting the ball out in 2.38 seconds and he threw for over 5,000 yards and his offensive line is always graded pretty high and you say the same thing for New England. How many times does an offensive lineman come from New England and sign a big contract with someone else and then they're not as good? Like Nate Solder signs that big contract with the Giants. He's not all that great. Um, we'll see what happens with Trent Brown. He's a massive a human being, but is he going to go to Oakland to be the same guy as uh, he was with New England, where Tom Brady's getting the ball out super quick? Um, Derek Carr so, so, does but, too, but okay. um, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, offensive line, uh, you know, there's obviously the players who were there, and that's on, you know, on every team, the starting five or whatever, and the depth and those things, but. The offensive line coach, I've said it many, many times, the offensive line coach is so important. And, and the Patriots, I have, I think, the best guy to ever coach that position, uh, Dante Scarnecchia. I, I think he's fantastic. But on top of it, it's the other combination of having the quarterback. We used to talk about uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that offensive line from, you know, three, four, five years ago, I mean, they were pretty leaky, too. Uh, it's been very polite. A- Teddy had a way of, you know, hey, running out of the pocket and just throwing the ball away. And just get, he, he could sort of flick of the wrist, get rid of the football, you know, and, and he made his line look better, I think. And now those don't always turn in, into completions. Those don't help out your quarterback rating. So sometimes your, your rating can be a little bit lower. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it helps your football team. So that's that sort of like stat that helps you win that I think that maybe we can try to quantify uh, as the season goes on. So a good way to look at it in terms of looking at how bad offensive lines were was uh, how often a quarterback got sacked in less than two and a half seconds. I mean, that means you're literally getting the ball and just getting taken down. Poor Josh Rosen, 17 times in 452 dropbacks, just taken down just right at the snap. Um, Cousins was fourth, but it was only 11 times out of 666 dropbacks because you know, he threw the ball um 
pretty much more than anyone in the league last year. So, I mean, it was happening, but when people say, like, oh, this offensive line, who could ever succeed with them? Well, you can, um, but I don't think this quarterback can. I, I think this quarterback needs much more there, much more plotting and planning around him to deal with this. It's like... It's maybe less of a Kirk Cousins criticism as it is, hey, when you hired an offensive coordinator who had run an offense with one of the best offensive lines in the league, he needed to change how he did things, or you needed to sign people in the offseason, or you needed to make trades or do something, and the Vikings didn't really do that last year. So it seems like you know it's kind of both sides of the coin. Yeah, and uh, that was really the deal. Is You said it, the Kirk Cousins threw the most passes in the league last year. Is that is that a stat? Uh, he had 666, um, a very metal number, of uh, dropbacks, which was fifth. Only Roethlisberger, Rodgers, Luck, Matt Ryan were ahead of him in total dropbacks. And the thing is, you know, with, with the Vikings, the way they're you know set up to win with defense and more low-scoring low games, like it, should, it was just the opposite hire of what they needed you know, to win. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, Kubiak used to say in, in Houston, you know, listen, there's a lot of times, you know, running the ball on first down and only getting one or two yards. Those, those can be considered wins. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, when you drop back the pass on first down, uh, you can get sacked. It can be just straight up incomplete. It can be a, you know, just a tip pass. And next thing you know, it's an interception. Uh, and, and those one and two yard runs, sometimes they set up those great, you know, the play actions and the bootleg stuff, which can be, you know, home run type balls because everyone's trying to stop the, the, the offense and run the football. And so it's creating these one and two yard runs. And so, you know, there is a sort of a, a give and take that goes with it. And, you know, there's just no reason for the Vikings to be anywhere near the top and trying to throw the ball the most because the quarterback is just not. The, the premier, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, you know, Tom Brady type of player. It's just not, he might get paid like those guys, but that's just not the way it is. He can, I think he can still win as a Super Bowl, but it's not because of, you know, him doing everything and trying to lead the league in passing. If the Vikings lead the league in passing this year, uh, I got to think they're not going to be in the playoffs. Um, uh, well, that probably means that they're playing from behind a lot, which was, I think, a little bit of a, a misnomer about, D Filippo because I ran the numbers when they were in neutral situations like not up by two scores or down by two scores and not in the fourth quarter and the Vikings were more like 20th in in rushing um and not dead last or 30th so D Filippo was trying to run in those neutral situations but the Vikings were down by two scores kind of a lot last year um let me give you one more cool stat about your friend Drew Brees I can call him your friend Drew Brees right you and him are tired. Sure, go ahead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you were going to sack Drew Brees last year, you had to get there in 2.8 seconds, which was number one in the NFL. The average time to him getting sacked, 2.8 seconds. Like you better have blown through the line if you were going to get Drew Brees. That's how fast he got the ball out. But uh, Kirk Cousins was 3.15, so... Um, that was kind of middle of the league, meaning that he needed to, or, or that it, it wasn't exactly that he was taking the snap and just getting sacked, which I think was yeah. the perception. His protection wasn't any different than Matt Ryan's, Baker Mayfield's, Matt Stafford's, uh, in terms of how long it took for him to get sacked. And to your point on the uh, first down bit, 
you're totally right about this because even though statistically it's better to throw the ball, a sack ruins a drive right there. And Cousins does have this tendency to take sacks. And so if they can get to third and short, he's going to be able to execute what they want to do. So I I understand the, uh, the offensive philosophy there. So when I got to Houston in 2006, uh, the year before the previous staff, uh, David Carr was sacked some crazy amount of times, like 66 times mm-hmm. or 68 times or something like that. All right. Same player, basically the same offensive line, uh, the following year, no running game in, in that following year. He was sacked like, I believe, you know, less than 40 times or something like that. It went down 20 plus sacks and we won, we won six games rather than they won two the year before. Um, so, you know, that I feel like, you know, looking back to last year, it just seemed like there were a lot of, you know, second and 16, third and 12, right? That those scenarios are, uh, the, the, that if the Vikings are in, uh, is number of those type of scenarios, third and 10 pluses as, as they were last year again. Uh, they will not have a successful season. They got to have fewer of those. And, and a lot of that is, you know, not, second and eight, not the end of the world. You know, as a play caller, uh, you, you can, you can call all sorts of plays in that. Sometimes it's great to have second 10. You get cover two, you do a little play action. There's some big cavities in there, uh, behind the linebackers and, and you can get a big gainer. So, uh, but you got to get ones and twos on those, on those first down runs at the very minimum. Uh, David Carr in the season you're referencing 68 times sacked. Now, Kirk Cousins was sacked 40 times last year, and that's kind of a lot. 68 times sacked. I mean, that's like how many times? That's like five times a game. That's, and you can say, crazy. and everyone just points to the offensive line and just gives David a pass on it. But like, uh-huh. he was sacked a lot in his career, uh, you know, w- w- no matter where he was. He's yep. just a guy who got sacked a lot. And Tom Brady's just a guy who doesn't get sacked very often. Dan Marino. Even when he didn't have an Achilles tendon at the end of his career, <laughs> he had such a quick release and got the ball up so fast that he didn't get sacked very often. One of the all-time great quarterbacks about with not getting sacked. Okay, Sage, I, I have um, two questions for you when we return. The first one is what you want to see from the first-team offense in this next preseason game, and then we can dive into it uh, later this week. But the other one is, I want to know who you would most like to be the backup quarterback for in the NFL right now. We will talk about it when we return. Here you're listening to Purple Daily. Two forty six, working on two forty seven here at Score North. Time for the Score North download here on Purple Daily. Balloons yesterday moved up to second in the West off a 1-0 victory over the Colorado Rapids. Next up, they'll be hosting Adrian Heath, the manager of the Loons, his former his former club, Orlando City. That's this Saturday. You can join Dan Terhar and myself this Saturday night for Score North's coverage of that game, Minnesota United and Orlando City. Pre-game at 6.30 p.m. with kickoff at 7 p.m. right here on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of this hour of Purple Daily. All right, final segment with Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman quarterback correspondent. And uh, Sage, we've dug up some incredible statistics here on sacks. David Carr, who you were talking about getting sacked all the time, was sacked 267 times during his short career uh, as many, a starter. How, how many total attempts does he have? Uh, he has, let me see here, 2,067 attempts. Okay. 2,067. 60, yes. So 2,000 attempts, he was sacked 200 and... 
67 times. 67 times, okay. And, and Dan Marino was sacked 270 times. And I'm going to have to look at how many attempts he 8, had. 8,358. 8, and they were sacked the same number of times. So that, that I think is your proof that what Pro Football Focus found about quarterbacks controlling how often they get hit and sacked, right there for you. Um, yeah, it's a to it's me, amazing. It's, it's this it's this sort of underrated you know stat and and you know a lot of times my offensive line in particular during my Houston years they 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 liked me at quarterback because like man you don't get sacked you get rid of the ball and I'm always like hey first person that gets open man I'm getting this sucker out I'm not gonna sit back there and get my butt kicked in you know what I mean so I always thought it was sort of a hot potato I wasn't trying to hold on the ball you know very long the longer I held the ball in the pocket the more uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I felt them probably because I wasn't trained, you know, like your prototypical, you know, kid growing up in Dallas, Texas, going to private instructors and very mechanical and whatever. I was just out there trying to make things happen and, you know, probably playing multiple sports in high school allowed me to, you know, sort of flick the ball to my running back quick or, or, or whatever. And some quarterbacks can do that better than others. And that was one of my strengths as a quarterback was, you know, not getting sacked very often. Marino is the all time. And, and, you know, again, guy, it's not about being a great athlete. You know, this phrase you use at, like, what's their 40 time and what's their three cone? And Dan got the ball quick. He had a quick release. He knew he wanted to go with the football and uh, had unbelievable feet and, and, and to get rid of the football quick. And, you know, Kirk Cousins could, uh, could definitely improve in that with his game. Okay. How about this stat for you? Dan Marino, sack percentage, percentage of times where he drops back and gets sacked in his career. Dan Marino, 3.1%. Sage Rosenfels, 3.3%. You were just as good as Dan Marino at not getting sacked. Tony, watch. That's incredible. We should get in the preseason. It's probably even better. <laughs> uh, yeah, the preseason Hall of Famer that you are. That so you are you are exactly right. You did not get sacked very often. Only and what uh, is and what is Kirk Cousins' uh, oh, drop good, back? Good question. Uh, you know, Let's take a look per, here. Per hundred attempts. Uh, I am pulling that up right now. Luckily, my internet is fast here. Um, it's not it's not terrible, but it's not Dan Marino. Five point one percent. But here's the thing, though. His last two years. 7.1 and 6.2% when he hasn't had the offensive lines, he's not making them better. Like when he's got Trent Williams as his left tackle, it's lower in 2016, but the last two years, and once again, this offensive line is not going to be that great. They're going to be better, but they're not going to be Orlando Pace at left tackle or Jonathan Ogden or something. So, yeah, uh, it's, so I'll let, I'll it's quite a bit higher. And I, I talked to Stefanski about this in, the, in years past, and I definitely know this is something that Kubiak harps on is, you know, getting sacked, uh, uh, is a big no-no. You know, the, the quarterback, you gotta get rid of the football. Now, there's sometimes you do, you just take a sack and it's not the end of the world. Uh, but he is, you know, finds ways, uh, strategically to, to not allow his quarterback to get sacked very yes. much. You know, if they go empty, let's not call seven step drops and put our, you know, our five offensive linemen, uh, you know, one on one with all these guys. You know, he, and let's get the ball out quick, you know, three step wide receiver screen. That's another reason that the play action blue like stuff is good. Not a lot of sacks a lot of times on those types of things. And so, uh, Coop's really cognizant of how hard it is to, you know, pass block in the NFL for the offensive line. And I always think the linemen always appreciate that style of play calling. Um, real quick, was, were you, were you around Rico Dennison or not? Or Rick Dennison? I was actually going to no, ask I- if they called him Rico. 
I was not. Okay. Because no, he, he like all of a sudden everyone started calling him Rico and now we've been calling him Rico and I don't know why. And it's, it's like, wait, where did this even come from? And then Mike Zimmer finds it hilarious that we were calling him Rico. And anyway, Courtney started it, but this is, it's just like become a weird thing. And I wanted you to know, know if he's always I, been I, called that. I bet what that is, is, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in uh, organizations like that, there's a couple of Ricks in there, right? Like, so, hey, I was talking to Rick the other day. Oh, well, sure, you know, sure, yeah. Rick Spielman or, or Rick Dennison, right? <laughs> so I think what happens is you give one of those nickname and obviously end up being the offensive line coach. Yeah, that's great. It's just great. It's like one of the great mysteries of the Minnesota Vikings 2019 is how this man was called Rico. Uh, Spielman started doing it. And we were like, okay, I guess they call him Rico. Okay, anyway, I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up just uh, about today's group of uh, NFL quarterbacks, and you got to back up some good ones, including Brett Favre. So who would you pick now if you could pick a couple of guys to be their backup quarterback, work with them on a daily basis, practice with them, be out there on the field? Uh, I think the Vikings have a great one in Sean Mannion after talking to him a bit. like yeah, I think him and Kirk Cousins should really – um, like each other with how much they have like enthusiasm for talking about the game and that sort of thing. So who would you love to back up if you were in the league now? Well, I actually wrote an article about this about three years ago for, for a website about, you know, what are the best backup spots uh, in the NFL? And it was a sort of, you know, you know totally uh, encapsulating situation of not just, you know, who are you going to be behind, but the organization, the offensive coordinator, the off season, you know, like if you want to be a backup quarterback somewhere, the off season has value. You get to play golf if you're somewhere like Houston or Miami or something like that and not in Buffalo. Right. So taking all these things into account, and I still believe it holds true. I think the new England Patriots backing up Tom Brady, learning from Bill Belichick and just, you know, you're going to have stories for the rest of your life. You, there's probably going to you're going to be in the uh, the AFC championship uh, championship game at the very minimum. Probably the Super Bowl may win a Super Bowl. So to me, that would be an unbelievable experience to have if it was just for one year. You said, hey, you can go back if anybody you want in the NFL for one year. Who would it be? It would be Tom Brady and the Patriots. Number two, uh, I think Pat Mahomes right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be, be lots an unbelievable of fun. experience. Again, learning from Andy Reid, one of the great offensive minds in the game, but. Having the season behind Pat Mahomes, I think would be, would be really something else because he's like one of these guys who almost, you feel like he's going to be a Hall of Famer and he's only a couple years into his career right now, but, uh, he's so talented and does things that people, other people just don't do. It sort of feels like backing up a young Brett Favre to me. There's, you know, a lot of similarities there. Uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, even though like Dak Prescott's not great, I think going on the, uh, the tour of the United States with uh, with the Dallas Cowboys must be a circus <laughs> like no other. Yeah, uh, and Dak never gets hurt, so you're not going to play. So you know another great spot. So yeah, so I and you know hey in the offseason you get to play some golf, right? Not not Dallas, you can maybe play through the winter. So I, I think yeah, Tom Brady would probably be number one. Probably Pat Mahomes number two. Uh, and maybe the Dallas Cowboys number two would be a really fun place to be a backup quarterback. So I, I was thinking a very similar list, uh, for Dallas, your helmet thing reminded me, like, it would be really cool to just have a Dallas Cowboys helmet that belonged to you. Like, that's right. I played for the legendary of all legendary franchises, the franchise that's probably worth more than any other, uh, in North American sports. And you, you've got that helmet forever. 
Um, I, I think there's sort of like the, do you want to work with somebody who's a legend because you could make a case for Drew Brees? Do you want to work with a young quarterback that got, that's got a lot of talent? Like Sam Darnold seems like a great guy, but I wouldn't want to play for the New York Jets, I think, because they're kind of a mess. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and maybe the same goes for... Like, what if you were the backup quarterback that helps Lamar Jackson become a great passer or something? And he seems like a yeah. Good, I mean, if like you're talking dude. about you know as like an an older veteran, you know, yeah. you end up on a team and you know, uh, yeah, I, I. But you might have to play to with that. Lamar Jackson because he's going to run. Yeah, right. And and <laughs> I think going back to that, you got to think that uh, you know, again, playing for like a guy like Pat Mahomes, yeah, um, you'd be able to influence somebody in you know little ways. If Give them a few, you know, sort of tricks here and there. Teach them a little bit. Uh, the ability at, a, at you know, at, at this guy who has so much talent at a very, very young age to give him real knowledge of the game. I mean, Brett Favre did not even know what a nickel defense was until like <laughs> year four of the NFL. Yeah. You know, he, he actually asked somebody like, "What is Andy talking about with nickel?" De-? It was like one of the Detmers or something. He's like, "What you one know?" And uh, he, he didn't know that it meant you know you bring a fifth DB on the field and the linebacker goes out. He never knew that he's in year four. I mean, it'd be nice to give Pat Mahomes that maybe like in the you know in, in year two, so he uh, has a better chance of. Uh, you know, being a successful quarterback long term. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, maybe playing for Sean McVay would be my other one. Would be uh, Los Angeles. That that would be pretty cool. You get to be in L.A., you know, Hollywood, but you don't have to be in the limelight. But you kind of get to see everybody else being in the limelight. Um, so get to, cool. get to play in the new stadium. In yeah. A year or so yeah. Or whenever that thing is going to open up, I every time I fly into L.A., you basically fly right over. It. Yep. If you sit in the left side of your airplane, usually it, it looks incredible. Uh, that would be, yeah, that would be another spot. You know, in that article, I believe, uh, you know, even the, at the time it was the San Diego Chargers, I had them fairly high on the list just because, like, who doesn't want to live in San Diego? Right, right. You know, and Phillip Rivers, it seems like a great guy to back up. And, and, uh, uh, and again, you probably won't play because he never gets hurt either. So that right. was, a, you know, the old San Diego Chargers is a good spot too. Maybe you have to factor if you're Sean Mannion, cost of living. You're like, oh, in Minnesota, you know, so you can get a decent apartment for 1500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not too bad in Minneapolis, yeah, right? Can't, so I can't get that I, in I LA. You, I tell you what, though, I, I wish I could have played in this new uh, U.S. Bank Stadium. I've had a chance oh, sure. to go on the turf a few times, at, you know, during the end of the first quarter or whatever it is to for somebody going to the Ring of Honor, and it is spectacular being on that football field. Uh, and it feels like nothing else in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Sage, another fun show. We'll connect again very soon. We're going to be doing this three times a week all the way through the football season, so you will get plenty of uh, quarterback perspective in your life. All right, Sage, great stuff. Uh, We'll be right back here. You are listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. 
Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.